If you have a copy of scripture, I'd invite you to open it to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11. You're looking at verses 23 through 26 this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Now, I know some of you are in a state of panic as you look at the notes because it's front and back. And you're thinking, how long am I going to be here this morning? Well, it will be no longer than normal. I can assure you of that. So, so don't panic. Don't get up and leave the service because you think I'm going to preach too long or anything like that. But Hebrews 11. Verses 23 through 26, be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater, of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This morning I want to talk to you about faith determining our options. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. <clears throat> I would pray that you would take it and penetrate our hearts and our lives. May your word do great things in and amongst us. May we apply it and may it be used to accomplish all that you have set it forth to accomplish this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Every day of our life, we are faced with options. And some of those options can seem mundane and others not so much. Often the results of those options can have significant consequences on our life. For example, if you are a baseball fan, you know that the Boston Red Sox in 1920 had the option to sell Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees, and they did so. And after he went to the Yankees, Ruth, in 10 out of the 12 following seasons, hit more home runs than the entire Red Sox team. Boston would go on to a World Series drought from 1918 until 2004. In 1938, two men, Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel, had the option of selling a comic character they had invented for $130. They decided to do it. The name of that comic character was Superman. In 1955, Sam Phillips had the option to sell Victor Records to RCA. Victor Records had an exclusive contract with a young man named Elvis Presley. The cell forfeited all royalties on over a billion records. This passage of scripture that we're looking at today tells us about some options that had an impact on the world. The first option was that that two people in Egypt opted to defy the edict of the king who was killing all male Hebrew babies. Instead, they opted to hide their son. That son turns out to be Moses, who would later deliver his people from the hand of Pharaoh. The second option was for Moses himself, and it was a difficult option. Moses could either continue to live his life of luxury, or he could give up everything and side with the enslaved people of Egypt. Both of these options were determined by faith of the people that was, that was making them. And I believe there's a great deal for us to learn from this this morning. First, the faith of Moses' parents conquered fear, resulting in eternal blessing. We don't know 
really the name of Moses' parents. We simply know them as Moses' parents. Now, to be fear, uh, to be fair, in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, Amran is listed as the father, and Jochebed as the mother of Moses and Aaron, but the Jews often called ancestors from many generations back uh, as father or mother. So we can't say with certainty that this was the parents of Moses. The oldest child in the family was Miriam. And so you had Miriam as the firstborn, and you had Aaron, then Moses. The Jews had gone from a special privileged position that they held under Joseph. If you remember, we talked a little bit about Joseph last week. They had this special position under Joseph. They have gone from that to a position of being slaves for the Egyptians. And because the Jews were multiplying so quickly, Pharaoh made the decision to throw all the newborn babies, the boys, into the Nile River. That's what he decided to do. Now, first attempt, the midwives didn't do it, and then Pharaoh had his own people throw the babies into the Nile River. Now, it's interesting because Moses' parents must have known that there was something special about Moses. Because did you catch what it said when it was talking about Moses there in the passage of Scripture that we just read? It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful. Now, most parents think their baby is beautiful. I, I have yet to meet a parent that says, hey, you want to see my ugly baby? It, it doesn't happen that way. But there had to be something special about Moses. For it to be specifically mentioned here in Scripture, in fact, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, when he's speaking of Moses, says that Moses was beautiful to God. John Calvin says the scripture forbids us from making judgments of people based on their external appearance, which, you know, we often like to do. But Moses' parents must have seen something in this baby that caused them to have hope, that caused them to conquer their fear. Now, please note that, that Pharaoh, I am certain, thought he had accomplished something great when his people executed the barbarous edict that he had them do. Yet, this is the time that God would use to bring forth Moses. That God would use this time to bring forth Moses who would eventually relieve the suffering of the Israelite people. And so, here's Pharaoh thinking, he has accomplished something great and my people have killed all the firstborn and I am in control. But little did Pharaoh know, no, nope, God is always in control. Even in your wicked, wicked ways, God is still in control and uses the plot of Pharaoh to bring about Moses who would deliver his people. Moses' parents knew he was destined for greatness. And for that reason, they defied the edict of the king and they hid Moses for three months. Their faith conquered their fear and, and the results were an eternal blessing. Moses' parents obeyed God, conquering fear. Look at verse 23. It says, They were not afraid of the king's edict. If they're not afraid, then why'd they hide Moses? If they're fully trusting in God, why wouldn't they just go out in public with their son for everyone to see this beautiful baby? 
Let me be clear. Faith does not mean lack of prudence. When we say that God is in control, and when we say, well, we trust God, and when we say that God rules over sovereignly over the universe and controls every last molecule in the universe, when we say those kinds of things, it doesn't mean that we just act recklessly and that we take chances and that we just do whatever we want. While Moses' parents did not obey the edict of the king in the sense that they defied it, they certainly had a fear for the life of their baby and for their lives. If they had been caught, the whole family would be executed for disobeying the king. So by their faith, by their faith, they made the decision to hide their son instead of exposing the entire family to the risk of death. Now stop and think uh, for a moment about how the family had to live. Okay? I don't know if you've been around a baby much, but um, they tend to cry. That's what babies do. They cry. And a baby will cry for a variety of reasons, right? They can't talk to us. We don't know why they're crying. They may cry because they're hungry. They may cry because they get hurt. They may cry for any reason. And if Moses cried during the day or night, think about what they had to do. They're not supposed to have a baby. It says they had him for three months. So what they have to do when Moses starts crying? They had to quickly calm him down. They had to find a way to muffle his cry. They couldn't risk having their kids even run around playing with with other kids because we all know what kids do, right? They tell us everything. Did you hear what happened in my house? They had a baby. Right? And that's what would have happened. They might slip up and say something. If Pharaoh's army was in the area looking for newborn baby boys, the family would have to sit in silence, terrified that they might be discovered. You see, taking the option of faithful obedience always involves an element of risk. They didn't see into the future. They didn't know how it was going to turn out. They were just being obedient by faith. They had no idea what was going to happen. Every last one of them could have been slaughtered for what they had done. And even though it would have been terrible to throw their baby into the Nile River, they could have rationalized it away. They could have said, well, it's our only choice. They could have said, well, we needed to protect the rest of our family. They could have said, what kind of life would this baby have? They could have said, we can't afford this. They could have said, well, we're just submitting to government authority. They could have given any excuse that America gives for aborting their children every single day. They could have done that. They didn't. Instead, their faith determined their option. They obeyed God. They risked the consequences. They feared an unseen God who is the author of all life more than they feared the edict of a king who gave a death sentence. And there are times when civil disobedience is necessary when it comes to obedience to God versus obedience to government. One must obey God. And that could mean prison. It could mean loss of income. It could mean hardship. But we must conquer our fears by faith and be obedient to God. Just like the parents of Moses conquered their fears by faith. But not only that, we see the obedience of Moses' parents resulted in eternal blessing. Their son grew up to be Moses. The greatest leader in Jewish history. It was Moses who would be used by God to deliver the people from Egyptian slavery. It is Moses who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament under divine inspiration. You see, because Moses' parents allowed faith to determine their option to be obedient to Christ, it had enormous consequences on world history. 
Their faith enabled them to look past the fear of man and confide in an unseen God. Listen, church, you may never know the impact of an option that is determined by faith. You may never know how far-reaching it will be when you obey God by faith, but His blessing will flow through a life of faith. So we must be obedient. And the obedience of Moses' parents resulted in this eternal blessing. Not only that, but the option for Moses' parents was faithful obedience. We can't gloss over the fact that faith was at the heart of their obedience. God often works through the faith of parents or grandparents to raise up a gifted leader to accomplish great things for his kingdom. If it were not for Moses, this couple would have lived and died and no one would have known them. But God used their faithful obedience. And we can see all through Scripture where God used faithful obedience to accomplish great things. Mary, she was just a Jewish teenager who was willing to trust God, trust His Word, though it would mean ridicule when she conceived a son without a husband, but God used her to bring forth the Savior. Moses' parents never saw the promised land, but they had faith in God, and because of that they were obedient even in the face of a king's attempt to stamp out God's people and promised and, and the promised the love of God, and they trusted in the promises of God, and therefore they were willing to be obedient to God. As parents, we should live by faith. We should ask God to make our children beautiful for Him. Just like Moses' parents, we have to protect our children from the evil in this world. We need to pray for their salvation. We need to teach our children the ways of the Lord. We need to spend time cultivating faith in our children. One of the greatest things we can do as parents is to entrust our children to God's care. That's the greatest thing that you can do as a parent is daily entrust your child to the care of God every single day to pray, God, this is your child. Thank you that I can be their parent, but this is your child child and I pray that you would use my child for your kingdom to accomplish your will in this earth. That's the greatest thing you can do for your child. You see the obedience of Moses' parents resulted in eternal blessing. So we see faith with Moses' parents. I want to see faith of Moses. Moses obeyed God faithfully, bringing eternal blessing. There's a lot in these three verses here. As you tell, can tell by the notes I gave you, but uh, we need to go through that. The point is that we see Moses being obedient, and we see eternal blessing. First notice this. As a result of his faith, Moses suffered in the short term. As a result of his faith, Moses suffered in the short term. Look at verse 24. It says that by faith, when he was growing up, speaking of Moses, by faith when he was growing up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, I submit to you that Moses refused to be identified with Pharaoh's daughter. And this, um, and his determination to be identified with God's people, reveals to us four things. First, Moses was determined to suffer alienation and misunderstanding from his adoptive family. Moses was determined to suffer alienation and misunderstanding from his adoptive family. Okay, the daughter of Pharaoh had rescued Moses from death. You know the story, he's put in a basket, floated down the river, she finds him, ends up adopting him into their house, 
as her own son. She raises him in the palace. Even if he had survived with his birth family, he would have been a slave, a slave his entire life. But instead, Moses grows up with all the luxuries that the world has to offer. Acts chapter 7 verse 22 says that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. Imagine how the daughter of Pharaoh felt when Moses decided to walk away from everything. That she had provided for him and instead he, he hinges himself to the slave laborers. I wonder what Pharaoh felt when he heard about it. He must have been outraged that Moses would leave everything what, that was seemingly precious to him in order to identify with these Israelite slaves. What an ungrateful wretch. After all, that we have done for him, how dare him leave us? We gave Moses everything. What does he think he's doing? But Moses was determined by his faith that he would suffer this alienation and the misunderstanding. From They didn't understand why he would do this. Listen, church. When you make a decision to follow after Jesus Christ, it may mean walking away from that comfortable lifestyle that your family has provided for you. It may mean suffering the pain of alienation and even misunderstanding from your own family as they can't comprehend why you would forsake the ways of this world in order to follow Christ. Sometimes people aren't going to understand it. Why are you doing that? When I decided to become a pastor, there's people, why, why would you want to do that? When I first entered student ministry, I remember um, I did it for zero dollars. Nothing. Just a volunteer student pastor. Eventually I worked my way up to $50 a week. Big bucks. Nobody ever goes into ministry for money. They just don't. And a lot of times people, why, why would you want to do that? You're not going to make any money. Nope. The world can't understand why we would deny the things, the pleasures of the world in order to follow Christ. And see, sometimes that's a problem with Christianity. Because we fail to deny the pleasures of the world in order to follow after Christ. Instead, we try to gain all that the world has to offer and say, yeah, I'm following Christ at the same time. And we can't do both. And here is Moses saying, yeah, I'm willing to be misunderstood and even alienated from my adopted family. I had it all and I'm willing to deny it all in order to follow after what God would have me do. Are you willing to do the same? Moses was determined to suffer the loss of worldly things. He was determined to suffer the loss of worldly things. As the son of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses had it all. He enjoyed a position of honor that would have been higher than almost anyone else in all of Egypt. Yet when he was determined to be identified with the slaves, he suffers the loss of all worldly things. Moses had access to whatever pleasures that he would want. He lived in luxury. He ate the best food that was available. He wore the best clothes. If it was his desire, he could have had whatever woman he wanted. He had the wealth to buy anything that he could possibly want. He was rolling around in the Rolls Royce of chariots or whatever it might be. He wouldn't have had to work for the rest of his life. Can you imagine being in Moses' position? But his faithful obedience to God meant that he lost it all in an instant. 
And let me be clear so we understand. There is nothing inherently wrong with enjoying a position of honor. And there's nothing wrong with even having wealth or, or having a comfortable life. There's nothing wrong with that. Joseph enjoyed these things and still followed after God. There's nothing wrong with having those things and following after God. However, when God called Moses to give it all up and lead his people out of bondage, at that point, it would have been sinful for him to continue to live how he had been living. The Bible makes it clear. The sin will bring pleasure for a season, but it's fleeting. It will not last. There was no pleasure in sin. If there was no pleasure in sin, then we wouldn't be tempted by sin. But its final outcome, sin's final outcome is misery. Don't be deceived by the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses put obedience to God ahead of the things of this world. And sometimes I just, I just feel like, like we do the opposite. We put the things of this world ahead of obedience to God. We say, well, what, what can I get out of this? Or what's the world going to give me? Ahead of our obedience to God. We care about us ahead of our obedience to God. But Moses flipped it. Obedience to God over the things of this world. Thirdly, Moses was determined to be identified with a bunch of slaves. Now, I've never been one to be able to hobnob with the uppity-up of society. But that was Moses. Right? He got to hang around with the, with the leaders, the, the best people. He was in the circle. He knew everybody. Anybody that was a somebody, Moses knew him. He frequently ate at the king's table. He was highly influential. But he gave it all up just to hang around with a bunch of wretched slave laborers. That was what Moses did. He was determined to be identified with a bunch of slaves. Fourthly, Moses was determined to suffer reproach from the world. We stop and think about all the good that must have been running through Egypt, all the gossip that took place, even after Moses decided he was leaving. Hey, did you hear about Moses? Did you hear what he did? He did what? What an idiot. Why would you do such a thing? Facing ridicule is powerful. When we make mistakes, it's, in, it's embarrassing, right? We try to cover it up. You ever do that? You make a mistake, try to cover it up. You know, like, if you trip, you try to pretend like you meant to trip. Like, oh yeah, I was just, I just meant to do that. You know, I'm just walking funny or something like that. We try to, because we don't want to, why do we do that? Why does anybody do that? When you mess up, why do you try to cover it up? Why do, because we don't want to be ridiculed, right? You don't want somebody to make fun of you. You know, it's like, you ever been in a restaurant and somebody drops a dish and breaks it? What's the restaurant do? Oh, good job! Right? We ridicule that person that just made a mistake. It feel, I'm sure it feels great to that person. They probably just, oh yeah, that's just, I love that. It feels so great. Everybody's giving me a hand. Nobody feels that way, right? We don't like to be ridiculed. I don't know of anyone that enjoys being embarrassed. Nobody walks around and says, oh, please embarrass me. Can I be the first person to be embarrassed? Let me be first in line to be embarrassed. No one loves to be shamed. That's why when we mess up, we cover it up, or at least we try to cover it up. Moses, get this, Moses was determined to suffer reproach. Moses wasn't determined to cover it up. He's determined to suffer reproach. 
He knew the option he was choosing would bring him reproach from the world. He knew that people were going to go, what a nut job. Yet he did it anyway. Why would anyone do such a thing? Why would anyone intentionally choose to suffer in their life? Why would anybody have everything be at the top of the world and have everything that you could possibly have and look at a bunch of slaves and go, I'm going to go from this to that right there. Does that make any sense? It makes no sense. If your child was the wealthiest person on the face of this earth and they said, you know what, I'm going to give it all up and I'm just going to go be a slave. You'd be like, you are nuts. You've washed your mind. That's what Moses did. Why? He knew he would suffer significant loss. But listen, church, because this is what's important. Even though Moses knew he would suffer significant loss, he knew that what he gained was far greater than what he lost. Which leads me to this. As a result of his faith, Moses experienced eternal blessing. Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejects privilege and power. Moses decides to enjoy the fleeting, decides that he's not going to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin or the treasures in Egypt. Instead, he chooses to be mistreated with the people of God. Moses gains more than he lost. And this can be difficult for us to understand, but let's look at the three blessings, at least three blessings, Moses gains by allowing his faith to be determined by his options. First, Moses was blessed by God's people. So let's look at verse 25. It says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. So the people of God here were the Hebrew slaves, the Israelites, just so we understand. There are a bunch of poorly dressed, sweaty slaves, the same ones who would later grumble and complain and cause Moses all kinds of trouble because they didn't like the conditions that he had led them into when he led them out of their slavery in Egypt. Some of them would challenge his leadership and eventually all of their grumbling and complaining would lead to Moses becoming so frustrated to the point that he would sin by striking a rock in anger to bring forth water so that the Lord keeps him from entering the promised land. This is, this is what Moses decides to identify with. This bunch of whining, grumbling slaves who when he eventually leads them out go, oh, well, we had it better in Egypt. Oh, it's just so much better being slaves, Moses. Let's just go back. This is who Moses identifies with. So how was he blessed by God's people? In spite of all of their issues. They were still the people of God. And it was far better to endure the poor treatment with the people of God than to live in the world society of Pharaoh's court. And Moses understood that. Church has some difficult people in it. There's difficult people in the church. It's part of church. Let me tell you something. I'd much rather 
journey towards heaven with the people of God than to live amongst the self-seeking heathens of this world. It's a blessing to be with God's people. And even though so often we don't look at it that way, even though there are probably many times we don't get up on Sunday morning and think to ourselves, boy, I'm so blessed, I'm going to go hang out with God's people. Right? We, a lot of times we don't think that. Do you just get up Sunday morning like, oh boy, going to go to church today. Right? We don't think that way. We think that way about movies or big football game or baseball or whatever it might be. We don't think that way about church. We should think that way about church. What a blessing to be with the people of God. No matter how broken and messed up we are, no matter how many mistakes we make, no matter sometimes how we treat each other pretty nasty at times, it's still a far greater blessing to be with the people of God than to be with a heathen of the world that's headed straight for hell. What a blessing to be here. You say, well, pastor, you're always yelling at me. So what? It's still a blessing to be here. How great a blessing to be with God's people. When we gather on Sunday morning or any other time, it should be a great blessing and we should be looking at it that way. And that's what Moses knew. He was blessed by God's people. Secondly, Moses was blessed by the riches of Christ. Look at verse 26. Look at what it says. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The reproach of Christ, that's an interesting term, and it probably means a reproach similar to that of what Christ went through when he was despised and rejected by the world. We have no idea how much Moses knew about Christ. We know that Abraham rejoiced to see Jesus' day, and we know that Moses knew that God promised to raise up a prophet like him who would seek his word. He would have known of God's promise to Eve that one from her seed would bruise the head of a serpent in Genesis 3.15. He certainly would have known about the sacrificial system and how it pointed ahead to a redeemer. But Moses considered that any reproach that he faced or endured for identifying himself with the Messiah or with the people of God was far more valuable than the treasures that were offered to him by this world. Sure, he could have amassed all the riches in Egypt that he possibly could think of. But again, that doesn't compare to the riches of Christ. Listen to 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father but it's from the world. So how do we combat the lust of the flesh? How do you and I combat the lust of the flesh? How do we combat the pride of life? How do we combat the, the desires of our flesh? How do we combat that when we, when we look at something and we begin to lust after, boy, I, ooh, I really would want that. How do, we, how do we do battle against that? Well, like Moses did. You know how you do battle against those things? You look to Jesus Christ and you realize that Christ is infinitely more valuable than anything on the face of this earth. And that possessing Jesus Christ will help us combat the lust of the flesh. When we treasure Christ and you treasure His riches and you say, Lord, I treasure you above all else. Everything else fades away. Moses was blessed by the riches of Christ. Thirdly, 
Moses was blessed with eternal reward. Look at the latter part of verse 26. For he, Moses, for he, Moses, was looking to the reward. This is not speaking of some earthly reward. If Moses had been seeking some sort of earthly reward, then he is terribly mistaken. His earthly reward was to wander the wilderness for 40 years with a bunch of complaining people because of their sin of unbelief. That was his earthly reward. The reward that Moses was looking for was to what we read about in verse 16, a better country that is a heavenly one. This was the reward he was looking for. Now, fast forward with me to Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. So Moses is looking for the heavenly reward, right? But he knew that he was supposed to go into the promised land. He never gets to set foot on the promised land, Matthew 17, 1 through 3. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. So Jesus takes three disciples with him, Peter, James, and John. They go up a high mountain where Jesus is transfigured, which is why we call it the Mount of Transfiguration. But while they are on this mountain, who appears to them? Moses and Elijah. It's interesting because, remember, Moses never reached the promised land. And here he is for the first time setting foot on the promised land. But even this is no comparison to his eternal reward. He finally makes it, but it is no comparison to his eternal reward, which is heaven. I kind of, I like to imagine Moses going, oh, can we get back to heaven now? Because this is nothing. This is nothing. I journeyed for this. Heaven is far greater. Listen to me closely, church. The eternal reward of being with Jesus in heaven is far greater than any earthly reward you can possibly think of. What allows Moses to let go of everything that Egypt had to offer and to endure all that he would endure was not the treasure of this earth. It was not the reward of this earth. It was not that he might eventually get to the promised land. But what allowed him to do so was his focus on the eternal reward. He was looking to the reward of heaven and what allows us to endure the suffering and the pain and the heartache and all the garbage that we sometimes find ourselves in on this earth is not that one day we might get some earthly cheap worn out reward but what causes us to be able to go on and go through everything that we could possibly go through on this earth is that one day we'll see Jesus face to face and he will take away all of our pain and all of our suffering and our reward is eternal Are you doing that today? Are you living that way that that you know that you have an eternal reward? Now, when we think through all of this, we might ask how it is that Moses was able to do that and and, and how how he's able to accomplish all this. And the author answers that question for us. Moses was determined to be obedient to God by faith. By faith. The one thing that enables Moses to accomplish all that he did was faith. Faith determines our options. Faith enables Moses to focus on heaven above the treasures of the world. Moses believed that God uh, had promises he gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. However, that does not mean that he can just do nothing. He must be obedient by faith. Moses carefully considered his faith. Look at verse 24. We notice by faith Moses when he was growing up. It is important to note that he made the choice after he had grown up. Stephen in Acts 7 tells us that Moses was 40. You can't help but wonder what all Moses saw in all those years living in Pharaoh's court. How godless it must have been. How often he must have seen open sin on a daily basis. And then as we move down to verse 26, we see that word consider, which is a reference to belief resting on external 
proof in particular careful judgment. Moses carefully considered his faith. He weighed in the balance what the world had to offer. And he said, here's what the world has to offer and here's what God has to offer on the other end. Listen, what the world has to offer is attractive. It looks nice. It is appealing to us. Moses saw that. He saw it on Pharaoh's court. It looked great. It was attractive. But it doesn't last. Faith looks hard. And it is hard. But it satisfies forever. And Moses carefully considered his faith and he chose to believe God while rejecting the world. And it is a choice that we all must make if we want to go to heaven. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's not in him. Secondly, not only did Moses carefully consider his faith, Moses' Moses' faith had far-reaching consequences. When Moses saw an Egyptian beating one of the Hebrew slaves, it pushed him over the edge. His response was not one based on impulse, as we might think. He had been already considering and weighing riches of Christ versus the riches of Egypt. When the moment came, Moses was decisive. He killed an Egyptian. He took a stand with God and his people. That decision obviously not only had an effect on Moses, but the generations to follow Moses would eventually lead God's people out of slavery. What is important is that the faith of Moses reached beyond him. And it's the same for us, that when we trust in Christ as our Savior, it affects our eternal destiny, but that faith has far-reaching consequences as well. Our faith should have consequences for our children and their children. And it should indeed have an effect on those we come in contact with. Church, stop and think about your faith for a moment. Stop and give thought to the fact of how often we act like our faith only has an effect on us. But that's not the case anywhere in Scripture. Nowhere in Scripture do we ever read that we are to come to Christ, faith in Christ, and it only affects you. That is nowhere to be found in Scripture. Your faith should have a far-reaching effect on at least someone. Our faith should not only affect us, but should indeed have an effect on others. And if your faith does not, then you should really question whether you truly have faith or not. Thirdly, Moses weighed his option between the short term and the long term. We read that Moses was looking to the reward. Faith does not rest in the here and now, but instead looks to eternity. In the short term, Moses goes through bad treatment with a bunch of slaves in the wilderness. However, in light of eternity, he knew the suffering of his present time was not worth comparing to the glory that was revealed in us. Short-term suffering must be put into its proper perspective when compared to long-term faith. Paul says that we have momentary afflictions and that they are light and they produce in us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Listen, if you want to believe the gospel, then you must weigh your options. You either take the momentary pleasures of sin that brings with it eternal punishment of hell, or you place your faith in Christ where you spend eternity in heaven. It's either momentary affliction and eternal joy or it's momentary pleasure pleasure and eternal affliction. Now let me be honest with you this morning. It is true that not every Christian will be required to forsake a palace. It's true. But let me tell you what else is true. Every Christian who wishes to become a Christian, every person who wishes to become a Christian is required to forsake the world. And I don't mean physically, but I mean morally. We are not called to be monks 
but we're called not to chase after the affections of the world. Scripture is clear that friendship with the world is to be an enemy with God. Moses renounced his heart's tie with the world and he gave his affections to God. Have you done the same? We can look at the church today and we can see those who go through the rituals, who are a part of the church, who say they believe in Christ, but in practice, in their daily living, they appear to love the world more than they love God. They don't really believe, nor do they truly have faith. Listen to what J.C. Ryle said. In short, they do not put implicit confidence in the words of God, in the words that God has written and spoken, and so do not act upon them. They do not thoroughly believe in hell, and so do not flee from it, nor heaven, and so do not seek it, nor the guilt of sin, and so do not turn from it, nor the holiness of God, and so do not fear him nor their need for, of Christ, and so do not trust in him, nor love him. They do not feel confidence in God, and so venture nothing for him. So I ask you, what have you ventured for God? Has your faith determined your options to follow Christ in obedience? Do you truly believe what God has said about sin and the Savior? Have you weighed the balance of the treasures of this earth versus the riches of Christ? And have you renounced the world? And are you living for Christ? Is Christ more precious to you than anything else on the face of this earth? If you'd say, pa Pastor, yeah, I, I'm a believer. I follow after Christ. Is that evident in your life? What are you venturing for Him? And if you say nothing, you have a problem. Because your faith is not making a difference in your life. And if you would say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus today, you have a problem. Because your faith is not in Christ and you will spend eternity in hell. Let's close with prayer this morning.